Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of That's Hot Pod. I am one of your hosts, Tamberlyn Miller, and we have Christian Garza. Hello. It's weird because we're not on camera, but we were taking a break from on camera because it's a lot of pressure, you know, being beautiful all of the time. <laughs> we don't want to inundate y'all with our beauty. But really, <laughs> I look, I look ragged right now. And I just took a nap earlier. And... I have like a shower cap on and <laughs> some Birkenstocks, you know, giving Trader Joe realness. Anyways, <laughs> today we are here to discuss the life and legacy of, I was going to say the great, but we just got to say Carl Lagerfeld because of what we have found out. Yes. Oh my gosh. Where do we start? Okay, so this kind of all came about or came back into the forefront because of the Met Gala, the recent Met Gala's theme being based on Karl Lagerfeld. So all these people on TikTok and elsewhere on social media were like doing deep dives into who he is as a person. And turns out it wasn't that great. Or we'll talk unless you guys be the judge, you know, in the comments. Right. And one in my research, one of the things I listened to was an interview from Andrew Bolton and he's the curator of the Met Gala and for the specific exhibit he mentions that oh by the way if you want to sponsor us so that we can go see the exhibit follow us on Patreon or send us some money on Zelle yes cash app Venmo Apple Pay whatever y'all got we got just let us know but we're gonna go see it but in the interview he was saying that he wanted to focus on all the design and how he was able to go to each one of the houses, you know, Celine, Chanel, Fendi, and like find the DNA of that brand. And it wasn't really so much just Karl Lagerfeld. And he was good at that, like, you know, becoming a chameleon for the brands. But yes. it's, interesting. it's interesting how they wanted to focus on just the design because I feel like they knew, especially because everything that was coming up after the announcement that he was, you know, pretty problematic. Well, in doing a little research for this podcast, and, you know, like when everybody was talking about the stuff, you know, prior to the Met Gala, mm -hmm. it became very apparent to me that Karl Lagerfeld has always been a problematic individual. Oh, yeah. It's just that we, you know, in the pre-social media time, when everybody, you know, could share their opinion, it just wasn't so out there and prevalent that or how the people that maybe felt a way about him you know that was not positive they had no way to voice those thoughts like he kind of called Adele fat mm -hmm. he has done a lot of things like he very fat phobic even though he became overweight himself and then went on this crazy diet and then wrote like a diet book I had no idea about this which was basically a scam because you know all he did was write the foreword of the book and then, like, this, like, nutritionist or, uh, like, pseudo-doctor, he wrote the book, and it, the book was basically promoting his services and his, like, clinic where they could purchase these, uh, well, I forgot they call like, pochettes or something, specific things that they could consume on this diet that he conveniently would sell. So, so interesting. And that will just basically be the theme of this entire podcast and discussion about Karl Lagerfeld. He was a master at marketing 
and selling things to the point where he could kind of, like we said about the brands, go to any brand, go to any fashion house, become a, I don't know what the good word is for it. Like chameleon is a word, but I feel like it goes a little bit deeper than that. He's almost able to, if you guys have seen the Game of Thrones, he's like the mini face god. Crickets. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Sorry. Like he can go into any situation and just become that temporarily and kind of take the face of whatever that is, slap it on himself for a little while and do what needs to be done and then go elsewhere. And I feel like it's because of something that they discussed in his documentary mm-hmm. or that recently came out on BBC. He was a voracious reader. He had like over 300,000 books, I guess, in his collection. And they were not just about fashion. They were about everything, art, politics, um, travel, different time periods. Like he just was very, very interested in knowledge and expanding his points of reference. So I feel like that's why it was so easy for him to slip and slide and do all of these things. But... Mm, okay so how far did you get in the documentary i got to the part where they're talking to all what the ex-bodyguard and like who has the money it turns out that one what is it sebastian no yeah sebastian is the bodyguard man oh no the other guy the first one i think it's the b but oh baptiste baptiste yes he got like the majority of it right or he is going to get because it's still not settled. The estate is still not settled. Oh, really? I didn't get yeah. very far because BBC decided to pull it from whoever uploaded it onto YouTube. Sad. I was also very annoyed that there was no way for us to view it, you know, legally here in America. Because, come on now, BBC. Are we not allies? Do we not help you guys in the war and whatever problems you have going on? Why are you keeping not things after, for yourselves? Not after Brexit. Oh, okay. Okay. I forgot about I forgot y'all had a Trump over there and you're doing your own thing now. All right. So the documentary was very, very interesting. It started out kind of talking about Karl Lagerfeld's young life. I also forgot that he was German. And he not just to forget. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. did. I forgot that he was German and not just like a little bit. He was extremely German down to the fact that his whole aesthetic was based on like the German military. Mm-hmm. Kind of creepy. And he even said it out of his own mouth. He was like, you know, my style is just very regimented and blah, blah, blah. And almost like based on the German military soldier, you know, pre-1940. Like, yeah. Uh, Holocaust times. Watch it, Carl. Well, that's kind of allegedly. That's one of the reasons why he didn't want to be associated with like that particular time, and he would lie about when he was born because you know he didn't want to be at all associated with like the Nazi Party. German denial goes very, very far. My friend was stationed in Germany in the American military for a few years, and this is like recent history. She said they all like act like it never happened. If you ask a German person, but they're like, huh, what? Like, they have all, have a united front on, we're not talking about that as a group. So, interesting, Carl. Also interesting that he ended up working and being, like, most notably famous for being at Chanel, and she was also a Nazi sympathizer. That, too. Also, another parallel is that she was also a big liar of, like, everything <laughs> about her life. She was. Yeah, she was. Funny. Okay. So the first thing about the documentary that I thought was interesting or weird is that 
Okay, Yves Saint Laurent is my favorite designer of all time up to this point, like counting the classic people, not counting the people. And I did not know that Karl Lagerfeld was in a fake love triangle between Yves Saint Laurent, Jacques. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that either. It was so good. That was so deep. But it was like Carl seemingly did not have sex at all? Yes, and it, it must be true, at least for with that partner, because Jacques, what, Berchier? Yes. He ended up passing from AIDS complications. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, like, they didn't pass it to each other. But how interesting. Like, they were in love, but you didn't have, like, intercourse. And then YSL apparently was just, you know, giving it up, giving it out. But he didn't get it either. So what was really going on with y'all? Maybe he got him before the the, the HIV slash AIDS times, and then they broke up. But Maybe. that was interesting I too. He did die from like AIDS. Why so? Yeah. Oh, maybe he did. It was just way later in life. Like he died when I was in high school. Oh, we'll have to do a we'll do a deep dive of him next. We'll talk about YSL. But the I'm calling it a fake love triangle because there was no sex on Carl's side. He was just emotionally yeah. attached. He was acting like a bitter virgin, in my opinion. Yeah. Maybe um, that's why he was so bitter. It's just because like he didn't have sex. Oh, he was repressed. Yes. But then one of the guys that was talking about it was like, oh, because Carl cannot have sex. Like he, he, and I'm like, he can't or he didn't want to. But then other people were implying that maybe he was like a voyeur, like he liked to watch maybe. Oh. Very interesting. But apparently he was like very flirtatious with everybody who was around. Yes, because, okay, on the point of the flirtation, I thought that these two other guys that are going to come up in the documentary that we're going to talk about, Baptiste and what's the other hot one? Oh, the one that has like his great grandkids. Yeah, yeah. Odd children. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I forgot his name, but we'll show you his picture. Anyways, the model man. Him and this guy, I'm like, is this your boyfriend? But then they showed that he had a family. I'm like, oh, okay. And then Baptiste, it was like, oh, I called like my dad. He even tried to adopt me at one point, but. So it was very, very strange, peculiar. I know. And I wonder if it's because, you know, growing up gay and like in my research, it says that, you know, it was something that his parents just accepted. It was just as if another thing as like him having a different eye color, it was just accepted and not a thing. But I wonder if like some of that was repressed from being gay and just like, you know, less accepting times. I think so. And okay, you're from a super duper traditionalist country. Assimilate or die, basically. So why would you like anything out of the ordinary because they also killed gay people in the Holocaust? Why would you ever like fully embrace that or feel like that was okay to discuss and maybe even act on if that's you're you're even holding those beliefs? And you kind of feel wrong. Kind of like black men that don't want to be gay. Because they feel like everything that they've been raised with is against it. But they can't like deny who they are. I don't know. It seems very hard and very complicated. They're still out there though. I see them around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was Brad. The first guy that Carl Lagerfeld was like seemingly obsessed with was Brad. Okay. So yeah, Brad and Baptiste. Okay. Shout out to the bees. <laughs> The other thing that maybe 
was the reason that Carl did not have any meaningful relationships, sexual relationships, because he was very consumed by his jobs and his passions. And he said, there's only so much time, so you better spend it alone um, and recharge your batteries because he had so many things to do. Like we, like we're talking about, he was in charge of these multiple fashion houses. He had his own brand. He liked to read all the time. He liked to sketch personally. So, you know, where does that leave a lot of time for like family and being in love? That's true. And plus, at some point, you know, he's older. And I feel like up to a point, it must have also been scary besides his like childhood and, you know, who can he come out to and not. But then also in the 80s with the whole like HIV, AIDS, you know, epidemic. That's like another reason not to have sex because it's just so scary. I agree. And especially if you are a even slightly religious bent person or like we're like I was saying, like you grew up in a society that was so vehemently against like anything out of the ordinary. You're probably seeing something like that as an act of God. Like, oh, my God, I feel right. Look what's happening to us. Like, no, being gay is wrong. Look, look, look. Because that's how some evangelical Christians were talking about it during that time. So true. Like even today, like they're like as long it's it's an act, not a, you know, way of being. So as long as they don't act upon it. Then they're not gay. I don't know. Yes. So crazy. Very interesting. I feel like that's why Luther Vandross never had any public relationships as well. Oh okay. Lord. I love that when it comes around. I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know that until like last year that allegedly he was gay. Yeah, he's very much so gay, but mm-hmm. A whole what can you do about it? Mm. Then he came to Chanel in 1982, 11 years after Coco Chanel died. And it was kind of dry and stale during that time period because Coco was a sort of dry and stale lady in her old age. She was not at all innovative and stuff like that. And she kind of hated everything new. So Carl going to Chanel and like sexing up the place was very much so like tantamount to Tom Ford going to Gucci. Tantamount. Love that. <laughs> SAT words. But yeah, he like really brought the sex to Chanel and he had those girls out there in those bright colors showing skin, showing leg. Claudia Schiffer came and she was like the perfect white woman to embody the time. And then later on, he found Naomi Campbell and it was just, it was a wrap. But they also like brought him over after seeing success from Celine. It's like that was the first place he went to. But even before that, he was working for Balmain, right? No, Givenchy. Which Givenchy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because YSL, he won the prize in this one competition. I think it was a Woolmark. Oh, yes. Prize. Carl won as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Carl won in particular, I think, jacket competition and YSL. Yes. He won the dress competition. So he went to go work for Givenchy and Carl at Balmain. And then from there, he went to Celine. And then Chanel. He was at Fendi, too. Yes. At that time, too? Oh, wait. Did he go to... Okay. He, I think he went to Fendi a little bit after Chanel. Okay. That was and nice. And it's interesting, because I didn't know this until, like, all of our research, that he wasn't, like, a specific... He didn't have... Well, he was freelance for Fendi and Chanel. Getting that money. Yes. Love it. So, a part of all of these jobs, right... Carl ends up amassing a fortune and then socialism comes to Paris and it throws him for a loop. It's Francois Mil Miltran, I believe that's how his name, was elected as the first socialist president of France and 
it just did not go well. Carl was like, I cannot pay these taxes. I'm not doing that. Like, this is my money. He It, it brought the German back out of him. Like, no, hell no. <laughs> and Helmut Newton invited him to Monte Carlo because it's like tax-free, notoriously for tax-free for the rich people. He's also good friends with Princess Caroline of Monaco since she was a teenager, you know, helping her get dressed for her events, this and that, so she can be the young, cool one, the Princess Diana of her time, if you will. He used her kind of to market Chanel and the brands he's working on to a higher society, which is easier because I feel like people kind of put influencers like they're only during this time, but there's always been influencers. It was just done in a different way. So we're kind of using these rich ladies to influence other people with less money, celebrities and the like, to want to live the Chanel lifestyle, live the Fendi, whatever he was working on at the time. Mm-hmm. He then ends up buying this big-ass cliff mansion called uh, La Vigny or something like that. It's on the Mediterranean. Carl paid for the whole reconstruction of it. It was like a castle, a dilapidated castle. But he fucked up because it was right on the French border. So his whole malicious plot to avoid taxes ended abruptly because his house turned out to be in France anyway. It was an oversight. Wow. I did not hilarious hilarious to me that this happened to him because it takes me to the quote, make sure your deeds will find you out. Carl, you tried to hide and you tried to hide openly and kind of still live like what did the lady say? Like, oh, he lived like a prince, like he lived like royalty, pretty much, minor royalty. He ended up having to sell all of his prized 18th century furniture to get out of tax debt. Oh my gosh. I did not get to that part either i think it's it's not it's funny like you know sad not funny like haha right keep in mind that like he lied about his past and like to the extent of his family's wealth he was like funded so his parents upper middle class or whether or not they were like elitely rich he would call his mother what elizabeth of whatever region I forgot. Oh my gosh, what was it? But he would allude to her as if she was like of royal descent. What? And And so he was like a lonely child. And his mother was like very, um, I guess is indignant the right word. She like loved her son, but she would also poke. And that probably was why he had like a lot of like insecurities or he had like a lot of bitterness, you know, People mm-hmm. who are bullies tend to become bullies. Very much so. And so uh, whenever he eventually moves to Paris, you know, his family's funding him. It must be nice. <laughs> it's strange because he ends up having a sister at some point. Or maybe he always had a sister, but he just was not close to his family. Who knows how they were raised? Um, maybe it was odd, too, that he was lying so much about his life. Right. Um, but he ends up like reconnecting with them after he gets a little bit of money and he comes out to America. I think it was like North Carolina, South Carolina, something like that to visit. And he comes in a limo. Like he was just very much so out of touch in my opinion. And he came over to America to flex on these people. He meets the family, whatever. And he's like all well-dressed. He was back in his young, good looking stage where he kind of looked Italian. And clearly, like, everybody there is assuming that he's gay, but like we said, he's not acting on anything, so nothing they can do. And he kind of 
takes a liking to the kids and I feel like he just like he has a thing for kids maybe because he never is going to have a family of his own and he's like conscious of that so he really takes a liking to kids and he wants to show them a good time. He ends up taking his niece and nephew out to Paris. They've never been before. He like showered them with gifts, taking them out and stuff. But they're like, he still just worked constantly all the time. Then years later, his niece calls and tells him that she's getting married and he offers to make the dress. He goes all out for the dress, flies it overnight the day before the wedding on a red eye, had his own seat, the whole thing. So it was like with his evil deeds, he was also very, very generous. So it was odd. Like you don't want to pay taxes because you want to bestow the money on who you would like. Is that what it is? So, you know, there's always redeeming qualities. Um, and that's what like several of the interviews that I like listened to, read, whatever. They, especially like they were insiders. So it's like if we were in his circle, he loved and cared for you. He wanted to like shower you. Mm-hmm. Like how you said he did with his relatives but maybe he just didn't care for the outside world because i can relate i don't i don't care about anybody (laughs) i personally have a very hard time caring about things and people that don't directly affect me so i get it maybe it is harsh maybe it is desensitized but it is what it is this is america sweetie we don't have time (laughs) also on the point of his generosity he like would buy houses and cars and things for his servants as he called them like Sebastian the best bodyguard slash you know manservant ever bought him a house in Saint-Tropez wow like what that's crazy and even at the end of the documentary he's kind of like because they're still working out the estate or whatever and he was telling the story like oh he had taken Carl there because he was like Carl's fixer Carl's manservant and he was like, oh, you know, it's so beautiful here, blah, blah, blah. Like, wouldn't you like to live here? And he said, yeah, Carl, but like, I can never afford this. He was like, just go look for a house. Get some house. And so he passes away. Sebastian is the only person there with him. When he finds out that he has this, like, health diagnosis, um, the doctor is trying to get him to do different things about it. He's not being very compliant because he doesn't understand. And like Carl said with his own words, he likes to like shower his close friends and assistants and all that with money and gifts because they essentially take care of him he said they do more for him than anyone else because outside of fashion and what he does he's completely stupid he's like i don't drive i don't cook i don't do none of that regular people stuff so like these people that do it for me i love them Hmm. which you know i guess it's interesting it's this it's a thing he meets these models he kind of falls to me, it's like he falls in love with them. Which ones? Like Brad and Baptiste. Oh, yes. So it was like his replacement for love. Definitely. Like, you're just obsessed with these guys. You want to take their picture all the time. You want to give them opportunity, put them in every single ad that you're working on. Like, you're essentially making them famous. But they still are not allowed to kind of do things that you don't like or things that you don't approve of sort of thing. Baptiste. Of course, you're will... still the help. Yes, you're still the help. Don't ever get out of line. Baptiste who I thought was going to be his boyfriend, but ended up turning out that that was his fake son. He's going to get the most of the inheritance whenever the suit is settled. Brad's kids, he just fell in love with them. He's their godfather. He's bought them a bunch of stuff, put them on Chanel runway. They've been on in Vogue, different things. He was flying them out on vacations every year. Just very, very interesting. So I wonder if this is just like building his own. You know, a lot of people in the gay community, they tend to like build their own family. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but like this is like the substitute. Like I created my own family and that's that was his. I can see that. I can definitely see that. You didn't, and and he was super close with Cara Delvain too. She wasn't 
in the documentary she's very very rich so i don't i would never assume that she would just be in a documentary that was not like authorized or whatever yeah so maybe she's like a daughter a little bit or the the models that he would oh that's another thing so he was buying all these books like i said he has over three hundred thousand in his collection he was spending anywhere from five hundred to seven thousand dollars a year at this one specific bookshop in paris near his home and the lady was like he would come in and he would not just buy books for himself like he would buy multiple copies and when they talked to Sebastian, he was like, oh, yeah, he gave me books all the time. And at first I kind of didn't get it. But after a couple of years, I realized, oh, he was trying to help me. He was never a person that would like talk down to you or call you stupid or anything like that. As far as you not knowing something, he really like liked to teach people and like to put people on game about things. So he was like, I realized slowly that he was giving me these books so I would have different things to talk about. Like I didn't just have to talk about sports or cars you know like my mundane interest I could talk about history I could talk about art like I could fit in really with any type of crowd of people and he used to give the books to the models as well and in hopes that maybe it would I don't know enlighten them put them on a better path so he was generous with money and trying to be generous with knowledge as well but you know you can't force people to read oh yeah I love that it's also like a little shade it's like oh you're a moron here's the book here, take this book. Like, I heard you speaking earlier, and your vocabulary is very limited. Here is a book. He was also very obsessed with the 18th century. He said he feels like he was supposed to be in that time period. And as a person that just loves period dramas, like, that's my preferred genre of things. I don't care about anything modern as far as, unless it's like science fiction, fantasy. I also prefer the olden times. As a Black person, I would never say that I want to go back. <laughs> But for Carl, I could definitely see him like living in a castle, being the ladies dressmaker or something like to a queen like Marie Antoinette or Queen Victoria or something like he could really he fits that aesthetic. Yeah, something about him, especially because of all of his like knowledge of history, he definitely seems like he's always like buttoned up to the T, you know, very pristine and like well kept liked his image and everything but in like interviews i've read he's kind of like a grump but also with i don't know a bit of personality and like like an amusing sensibility i love that he had like that like personality yes and i feel like that's what made him tolerable took the edge off because he was like grumpy but could be funny and then he's cool because of how he dresses and things Mm -hmm. Also, kind of the most famous thing about him, his cat show pet, I found out from the documentary, was not even his pet. It was Baptiste's pet. And he stole it. (laughs) He stole it. (laughs) Baptiste went out of town. He was like, Carl, watch my pet, which everybody at the time was also like, oh, hell no. Like, this is not about to happen. This is not going to work. Like, how did Baptiste is crossing the line? Carl takes the pet, keeps it. And I feel like that was a very parent thing because my best friend had these little teacup chihuahuas and she went to college and she was supposed to go out there get settled and then get her dog and her mom was like no like mocha saying here with me you left like be gone and carl kind of did the same thing with your pet and he did, did with your pet what he does with all his relationships he made her famous yes now she has like her own product lines and deals and all of these things she's like in photo shoots and has merch what a lucky cat what, who gets the money though because i'm like the cat just needs to be cared for by a human so does the human that takes care of your pet now inherit all of their earnings no because it even has an agent right like the, the cat yes has an agent has a lawyer 
Yeah, so I'm sure like that person will definitely be compensated, but it's the money has to be in this cat's name. I don't know. It's weird. This, the cat don't need no money. How, how much, you know, salmon, caviar can you eat, cat? A lot. <laughs> I guess so. She has like diamonds and things. Your pet's living a better life than most of us. Yeah, definitely better than me. <laughs> <laughs> so, in closing, Carl was a very fashionable tax evader. <laughs> um, a complicated character. Complicated, um, very well read. And like, maybe probably a heart of gold underneath this, you know, stern exterior. And of course, like, we all say dumb things, and he definitely shouldn't have said some, like, mean things. But don't we all? Yeah, what can you do about it? And especially as you start to get older and more out of touch and you're like less, you're around less normal average people that share the average consensus and you're around fashion people as Christian and I know very well because we went to fashion school, not the nicest group of people, not the most friendly, amiable, you know, very strict group, if you will. Which is interesting because I feel like a lot of the fashion people are usually like the outsiders to the like you know general consensus people oh yeah you know maybe it's like they create their own little like fashion club and instead y'all will be the outsiders and we're gonna be like the little bullies definitely what it is definitely you see a lady with a nice outfit and she's gonna treat you a little bit differently because she feels like she deserves respect based on that outfit across age groups i've even seen older women act snobby like mm, like you don't know what this designer is like you're stupid you're gross like you're low class hmm. so you know fashion breeds insensitivity <laughs> kind of and it also breeds image disorders and yeah that's gonna be a segue to our next episode so follow us and subscribe uh next time we'll be tackling fashion and its connection and relationship with body dysmorphia and eating disorders and very heavy but we want to start being more i guess well-rounded in our content because yes we both care about fashion a lot it's probably a solid you know the most of the pie percentage of what at least i care about in my life but it does have effects and it does affect other things so it's like it's good to talk about those things i'm just talk about the good stuff we got to be you know well-rounded in our approach yes so next week we talk about the evils of fashion the side effects of looking beautiful and perfection culture yes all right thank you guys so much for watching listening my bad <laughs> and we will see you next time like share subscribe bye bye